0: Hello there and welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kendra D. St. Orbin. Apologies, I've got a croaky voice today. I've got a frog in the throat. That's what happens when you call 54 games like in the, the month. the
1: male version <laughs> of uh, Demi... Uh Shoot, now I just forgot her name, the actress that always has that raspy voice. It used to be married to Bruce Willis. Demi Moore.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah. The,
1: theme, it's like the male version of that. It's, you're just going for a new thing.
0: Okay, hey, Demi Moore's awesome. Oh, I would <laughs> happily <laughs> resemble Demi Moore, no problem at all. Um, lots coming away over the course of the podcast. Uh, we'll, of course, preview the upcoming opponents for Minnesota United, Portland Timbers. Uh, we'll take a look around Major League Soccer. There's been a lot of action over the course of the last seven days. Um, first and foremost, okay, let's rewind it, shall we, to an international friendly. We've not had a chance to talk about a unbelievable victory for minnesota united thumping everton of the premier league by four goals to nil and these type of of occasions and results don't happen every day why was the evening so successful for minnesota united
1: i think minnesota was the better team on the night i mean really there is no other answer for me than that i don't think they were playing up in more energy because it was a premier league club and because it was adrian's former premier league club i think minnesota united on the whole was a better team that night first half Second half didn't matter. Um, I was wondering what it, the second half would look like because Everton still brought in some of their key players, whereas Minnesota United had really made an entire line change. Mm. And we saw some guys on the on the field that we never see for Minnesota United. They're usually with the twos or we see them in an open cup or whatever it might be. And everybody still just continued on that same form, that same level. They they locked it down defensively. They continued the shutout. Minnesota was just the better team that night. And I know it's preseason for Everton, but I think Frank Lampard's comments rang pretty true. I mean, they've got a lot to be concerned about heading into the season. It's not like all of a sudden a switch is going to flip come the first week in August when they are back home and and hosting teams and playing games that count and that matter. I I would think that they would look at that game and feel a little nervous on how they looked because they didn't improve from their last match, their, their loss at Arsenal or against Arsenal, excuse me, out east. They didn't improve from that. And I know they were still working on things, but just bad. There's some bad play that was just bad play. Now, I have a question for you. Mm. When people talk about Miami getting smoked, and people are like, oh, look at how far behind MLS is still. And then you have Minnesota thumping Everton. And people are like, yeah, well, Everton's in their preseason. How do we, How do? How do we? what is it? And how do we balance that? It As comes, a soccer culture here.
0: It, it comes down to ignorance is what it comes down to, <laughs> which it, that's all that it is, because I, I know Adrian Heath did a piece uh, with one of the newspapers in the UK, uh, the Daily Mail, I think, which is on MLSsoccer.com, by the way, if you want to read it. Uh, and he essentially said that it, it comes down to ignorance, uh, people not understanding how difficult this league is, because I do think at times in England, and I've had to learn this moving away from the country, uh, at times we are quite insular, and we think about football, um, with regards to just English football, we—I I know this for a fact, having seen it uh, over the years of living there. Uh, you, you go to the pub and you catch up with your mates. Everyone's talking about English football. No one's talking about, you know, uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona. No one's talking about. Um, the, the Milan Derby or anything, it's just at times, not not, not all the time but uh, over the, I would say that the majority of the country, it, it's quite an insular footballing place and I, I sort of understand why in the sense of because the Premier League for me is the best league in the world, so the counter argument here is why would you watch anything else, the Premier League is there and I'm a big, big lover of the Football League as well and it's the oldest football league in the world as well, like 1880 something because the first game was played you know, um, so There's tremendous pride with English football and I get that but I think the one thing that that people in England, football fans in England have got to start understanding is it is the world's game and it's everywhere and and Major League Soccer is not the Premier League. That's okay. That doesn't mean it's a bad league Um, and I think a lot of people in England struggle because they they assume the Premier League is is the standard the simple fact of the matter is, is it's not the standard it's it's, it's the absolute pinnacle of, of, of world football is the Premier League in my opinion um so not every country not every league is going to be played in the same way it's not going to be able to to deliver the same amount of quality and that's okay it doesn't mean it's bad football um this this is something that I struggle with when I sometimes when I go back to the UK and, and speak to, to pals and whatnot and it's coming around though for sure um because I, I was speaking to my, my dad the other day and, and he was saying there's, there's a radio station in the UK called Talk Sport which is kind of like the the national, um, alongside the BBC it's like the national football radio station if you will and, and there's, there's um, conversations 24-7 about about the game and even people on that station were talking about it saying wow you know like maybe, maybe we are sort of underestimating Major League Soccer a little bit and you know, so we'll wait and see. Again, it's going to take time. And, and I hate saying that because we're, we're so far into the now and the present with Major League Soccer. And those of us that watch it week in and week out know how good it is. Um, but it's just going to take time for people around the world to understand. It's happening, for sure. Um, but I think we put this down to English arrogance and ignorance at the moment.
1: So then what did you evaluate as the, the thumping of Everton by Minnesota United? Did you evaluate it as like Everton's in their preseason, or Minnesota was the better team, or a combination of both, or Everton has something to worry about? Like How do, how do you evaluate that game then?
0: Combination of all of those, to be honest, because I thought, I thought the first 20 minutes... I thought Everton looked like a Premier League team. They were slick. They moved the ball really well. They should have scored with Alex Iwobi. Remember that ball that came mm-hmm. across on the right? Mm-hmm. And Iwobi missed it at the far post. And I thought to myself, oh dear, this could be a long evening for Minnesota. And then uh, Reynoso got the penalty and scored. I thought then Everton deflated completely and the heads went down. And then obviously Minnesota got the second, got the third. I was really interested to see what the second half brought. Because you, you mentioned it there as well, Kay. In the second half... Everton still played so many of their first-team players. Damari Gray stayed on the field. Mason Holgate was there. Ben Godfrey. Deli Ali, obviously, was on the field. These are seasoned internationals. These are individuals that have got several caps for their countries. Uh, Yeri Mina, as well as a fully-fledged Colombian international, There were international footballers in that second half. Up against, essentially, the second team of Minnesota United. And it was great to see the likes of Emmanuel Iwe come on and, and get his opportunity. Didn't look out of place, in my opinion. It was great to see Justin McMaster come in. It was wonderful to see Padelford come in. They didn't look out of place, in my opinion. And look, obviously, Everton, that they are in their pre-season. I understand that point of view but I think they're only sort of two weeks away from being fully sharp and fully fit. Um, So I don't think it's a a major talking point. There's a conversation to be had, but I don't think it's a major talking point because the simple fact of the matter is, from everything that we're told, a team like that in the Premier League should wipe the floor with a Major League Soccer team. And it didn't happen. Um, I think a confident Minnesota United showed how good they can be. And I agree with what Adrian he said again in, in, in the article that, that there are some of, some of the Minnesota players that could play in the Premier League. And I'm not suggesting they could play for Chelsea or Liverpool or Manchester City or whatever. But I, I wonder, was it a little blessing in disguise when Reynoso came off with a little ankle roll? I know he didn't play in, in Houston, and we'll get to that shortly. But I thought to myself when, when we were doing the commentary when he came off, I thought, I wonder, is that a blessing in disguise? Because had he have played another 20 minutes at the level he was... Maybe Frank Lampard and Co would have said, "Huh, who's this kid then?" <laughs> uh, you know. So it,
1: hey, uh, for the right price. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. Well, no, absolutely, but for the right price. And that's why yeah. you have talented players in yeah. these leagues. That's why. That's why you. Have those kind of players? Absolutely, and and yeah. so
0: I, I wondered if it was a blessing in disguise um, that he came off because uh, obviously Minnesota wants to keep yes. hold of Reynoso as long as possible. Um, but again, th- this is this is where Major League Soccer is in its development. It's you bring in someone like a Reynoso, and, and inevitably they're going to get sold on, um, and that's okay. Like that's okay. Like we, we can be secure about the fact that Major League Soccer has gotten to this stage because ten years ago that wasn't the case, right? Um, so I thought, all in all, it was a, a really useful exercise. Um, it obviously gave Minnesota United an abundance of confidence. Uh, Everton, you're right, clearly have a lot to work out, for sure. I think they need to replace his Charleston as quickly as possible. Um, allegedly, Frank Lampard, um, the, the, was it the day or two after, apparently, because they took an overnight flight back to England straight after that. I bet that was the longest flight ever. <laughs> uh, allegedly, he went to the, the chairman and the board and said, I, I need some help, otherwise this is going to be a long season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and given what we saw... Um, in Minnesota, um, you can absolutely see why he needs some of that Hishalis and money, and they need to go and spend it. Um, as we mentioned, though, uh, Reynoso went over on his ankle, um, which meant he wasn't available for the game against Houston Dynamo. Um, it, it's always a difficult place to go, not only because of the heat, but the Dynamo, the way they play, they're obviously used to, to the heat as well. I think Paolo Nagamura has has gotten them. Um, to a situation where I think they're a lot more stable than they were over the course of the last couple of years. Um, They have some good players. Um, Fafa Pico always seems to turn up against Minnesota United for whatever reason. Um, What were your takeaways from that game overall before we talk about individuals?
1: I was wondering what the team was going to look like. I don't doubt the quality of the roster that was put on the field, and I think that is something about this group that they... And and not the cliche next man up mentality, but the, the... the thought that we can win without Emmanuel Reynoso. Mm-hmm. Everybody would rather have Emmanuel Reynoso in the lineup. I mean, they would tell you the same thing. But they really did feel with literally missing, essentially, your entire midfield um, with Will Trapp, Ariaga, Rosales obviously was there and available, but um, everybody else unavailable. I think that this was one of those moments that, from an individual and from a player themselves, did exactly what they needed to do, The formation, the subs, everything was spot on. Clearly the Luis Almaria substitution and the injury in the first half was not planned. So if if Luis could have gone a little bit longer, that would have been different. But I just thought that there was a, a cohesive nature to this group, and they handled it well and then clearly took their moments. I mean, you look at the two goals and the way they were created, and you rewind the tape all the way back to midfield, or actually back to the back line like on the first goal when DJ Taylor won the ball. And found the pass to Bong, Bongi. And then, as he's dribbling up the field, and I'm thinking, oh, shoot, he's missed his moment. Because yeah. the boo kind of came wide right, and I'm thinking he needs to play the ball in that space. Now he's missed it, and now he's going to get the ball taken away from him. And you had, but he did just enough. And then, Fragopane makes a great run in behind, stays in a on- Like everything about it, it was just, it was really clean transition type of, of soccer. And then the same thing in the second half when you know they were grinding, they're exhausted. Um, guys who have playing a lot of minutes that had not been playing a lot of minutes. And then on top of it, you're playing it in Houston. So I thought they did everything that they needed to do to get that win. And it wasn't, in my opinion, just like a bunker down. We're going to lock it down with, you know, eight guys behind the ball. They weren't a high line of confrontation either, but I thought they played, they came to play this game and um, I just thought there were so many guys that just put incredible shifts on. It was a true team win in my mind, um, considering all the things that they were up against. And it's always hard for me, and you and I go back and forth about this, about picking a man of the match or even who's up for it, because the back line almost seems like a cohesive unit. Even mm. those playing in front of them oftentimes. You know, and the outside backs a lot of time get the attention because they're the ones going up and down. And maybe the stuff that Boxel and Debassy goes a little bit unnoticed the goal scores are always gonna get the attention. And I was pleased that um, Hongwane got the uh, man of the match for Minnesota United because he deserved it as well. So there honestly I couldn't think of like any negative aspects of that game. I think um Kimoguchi faded towards the end, but like I mean, that was so much to ask of him. His first MLS minutes is coming on in a meaningful game in a central midfielder in central midfield holding mid, whatever you want to call it, role that's not his normal people around him. With Rosales and uh, and Robin Lud and everybody just did what they needed to do. There were so many positives um, for me, in my opinion, about about that game. And you shut down Wolfarson, um, who's been good for them. Quintero, who we know has a bone to pick. Pico, you know, Pico ends up getting the goal, but for the most part, uh, Lundqvist is always dangerous on the left hand side and getting in. So I just thought that they did everything that they needed to do, and it was a true. You could tell by just the celebration, the energy of the group that. Mm they felt good about going there and getting that win.
0: When, uh, obviously, you were there in, in the flesh, um, when I was um, given the team, it wasn't a surprise to me at all that it changed to a 4-3-3, given the fact Reynoso was unavailable, uh, and there was a, a couple of other individuals, obviously, that, that weren't able to participate. Kibun came into the holding midfield role, as you mentioned. Was it a surprise to you at all that Adrian Heath went with a, a 4-3-3 or no?
1: It wasn't. It wasn't a surprise to me. And then, then how you see it morph into the, the field... Sometimes I, you know, and I, you know, how I feel about formations. We all have to have them, and we have to understand what that means. Whether you're on the road or at home, what you you have available to you, what is it going to look like when you attack versus when you defend, all those kinds of things. So I was not surprised to see it in a four three three based on who he had available to him and having Nabi in there in that space. Um, but I did think that I was pleasantly surprised with the three in the midfield that they were changing roles as often as they were. I, You know, I was. it wasn't just Kibunguchi staying in front of the back line. He had moments and picked some moments to go forward. Robin had some moments. Rosales had, you know, they were never outnumbered in midfield. They could switch the ball if they needed to. They could find that outlet pass, and I thought that was because of the play of Longwane and Pane. I thought they played their roles perfectly in the sense of when to stay wide, when to tuck in, when to, you know, get that running behind to create because you couldn't depend on – Kamar Lawrence, and DJ Taylor making runs nonstop. You just couldn't. It was 100 degrees there. Right. They had been playing an insane amount of minutes. So they went forward when necessary, but for the most part, they stayed home. And I thought just the way they handled that and passed off players, I, I just thought that there was, uh, you know, there wasn't a moment to me where I'm like, oh, man, this is not going to go well. Or even when, you know, you get the team sheet to your point and you're like, oh, geez. How's this going to work out? I really mm. didn't have any doubts about the formation, no. about about the players. And I think that's how they all feel about each other. And I think that's how Adrian and his staff feel about them as well.
0: I think as well, it, it's never a bad thing to have an extra man in the center of midfield yes. in a place like Houston as well, um, where you know uh, running is going to be required. Um, you have to pick and choose your moments. Um, and I, I thought Gucci did, did a good job on on his MLS debut. Um the good thing about Gucci is is his versatility as well. Mm-hmm. He can play at right back, he can play at centre-half, and also, as we've just seen, as a central midfielder as well. So um, I, I wonder if Cam Knowles has just lost a, an MNUFC2 player to the first team there, but we'll we'll wait and see. Um, one individual that you mentioned was Bongokukulhe Um Was it the opinion of yourself that it was probably the best game he's played in Minnesotan colours?
1: I think it was the most complete game that I've seen him play for Minnesota United, and... Um, picking the right runs at the right time, knowing when to take the ball himself and keep it, knowing when to make the quick early pass. 95% of the time he tracked back in the appropriate moments, which again, let's remember, it's Houston, it's hot. He was being asked of a lot in that 4-3-3 to be in a more advanced position. So I think, you know, there were times where you could see DJ And Boxy, you know, and even the center midfielders trying to sort out if Longwana had just made that run and he's Mm. trying to get back and who's going to slide over and cover, Rosales, Kibunguji, whoever it might be, just sorting out numbers. I thought it was his most complete game that I have seen him play this season. And I think he grows with confidence. And what I think, and that's not just scoring the goal and getting the assist, but more confident in his touches, in his runs, in his decision-making. I honestly, I don't think there was anything, you know, that I could go go back and there was some glaring mistake or error. I just think that he he's getting more comfortable to me, and that translates into confidence.
0: Franco Fragapane seems to be hitting form at the right time as well. Why?
1: I think it's much the same. I think when he stepped onto the field and then he was dealing with some injuries in the beginning of the season and he was still trying to find where he fit in, and and again, confidence in his abilities, knowing when to cut in, knowing when to stay wide, getting on the end of a ball around the back. I honestly think it's more and more with him. Confidence in the player that he's playing with and alongside. He knows and understands Kamara Lawrence. Lawrence knows him, which sometimes is half the battle when you're on that left-hand side Mm -hmm. or right-hand side, whatever it might be, understanding the outside backs and what they're going to do and what your players in front of you are going to do and who needs to cover. I just think that there is a confidence level with him that we didn't even see when he first arrived. And he was great when he first arrived. But then he kind of hit this lull. Maybe trying to do too much, dribble too much, you know, take too many touches, getting too frustrated, too mentally caught up sometimes. We've seen this, frag- frag- upon I remember. The, you know, too caught up mentally in what is going on on the field instead of just playing your own game. And um, easier said than done, I know. But I think that's part of it. It's just understanding... Uh, I think actually Kamar is a big addition in the left-back spot for Fragapone because it allows him the freedom to cut in more often. And we know that's where Fragapone wants to be. Mm. He wants to cut in. He knows Kamar Lawrence is going to make that overlapping run nine times out of ten and and get that space and get to the end line or whatever it is. So I just think it's a freedom of um, mobility in that front third. And it's fun to see because there are often times where – You know, I've gotten frustrated with Fragopane watching him play, going, you know, making the wrong decision, or then he turns the ball over, and then, you you know, he's throwing his hands up, I'm throwing my hands up, you (laughs) know. Like, I just think it's it's amazing, the domino effect of confidence. And I just think that was one of the biggest things in allowing him the freedom to do what he wants in that attacking third with Kamar, willing to keep the width and make those runs.
0: Here's a theory. Bear with me. Mm. So, for a certain portion of the campaign, we were... Um, I think everybody watched on with an element of irritation with regards to Luis Amaria um, because he wasn't scoring the goals that he promised and all that kind of stuff. We, we might have said this whether it was on this podcast on this podcast or whether it was on, on a, a broadcast. I can't remember. They're all merging together at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but I, m- I remember saying that um, I thought Amaria towards the sort of the, the, the first third portion of the season, if you will, the opening third portion of the season, was playing with his back to goal a lot. And he was asked to, to connect the, the three players behind him. In Renoso. sometimes it was Robin Lourdes, it was Plonguane, Fragapane, what have you. Um, I've since noticed that I, I think he's now playing more off the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And he has done over the course of the last couple of games. It's no, um, it, it's no coincidence, in my opinion, that, that he's doing this and now Reynoso is playing more well. And vice versa as well, because obviously Renoso is the main uh, instigator in terms of creating chances. Um, so when they're playing off of, a sh- off of the shoulder, and this comes to the situation as well in Houston when, when Amaria came off and Dan Lardi came in, mm-hmm. Dan Lardi's never going to be one to, to post up and, and play the ball in behind. He's always going to play off the shoulder. Obviously what that does is it, it forces your back line back a little bit, the opposing back line backwards. It, it pushes them back several yards. What then happens, at least from what I've seen, is, is these lovely diagonal runs that the inverted wingers start to make... Um, it, it, it provides so much space that what the centre-forward is doing and it gives them so much more opportunity to press forward and come across, pull the full-back out and all of that kind of stuff. Um, you go back to the DC game, I mean, how many chances did Longwane have in that particular uh, evening? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's the same now for Fragapane. Um I think it's three goals in his last six games now. Um, and he's been involved in, in, in a litany of, of chances as well. So um, I, I wonder now, is, is it because of what the centre forward is doing, there's more space that has been created underneath? Um, like I said, Renoso is clearly benefiting from that. But I also think the inverted wingers are now starting to benefit from that as well. Just a theory, but thought I'd throw it out there.
1: Well, and I think too, if you look back to how the goals were scored, and we've talked a lot, or I did during the broadcast as well, like when Dunlady's run and his willingness to kind of come to the outside creates that space once again, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that at some point you have to, your, your nines, as I'm doing air quotes, (laughs) your forward sometimes has to be okay with perhaps not getting the goal and not getting the assist because they are creating with the space by making that additional run. And I think it might've been, I can't even remember now again, all running together here, whether it was DC United or Everton or what it was where, Luis made a great run into space and if he hadn't and it was inside the box it was in and around like the penalty spot in the six if he hadn't made that run and taken the two defenders with him occupied sort of the center backs then whoever it was that scored the goal wouldn't have been able to make a near post run and tap the ball in. I'm just you know or maybe and then I even think about the um, the goal what Benitez assisted on Mm -hmm. and Abu made the near post run there and he ended up getting the goal but it's amazing to me in, in how much making the runs away from the ball, and then you just have to make sure at some point that those goal scorers, again in air quotes, are somewhat satisfied and get the goals of their own because yeah. oftentimes they are creating this like unsung hero sort of dirty work um, when they are creating the space and attracting the attention of the outside backs, the full backs, the the center backs, whatever it might be. So. And again, I think it all goes to confidence. I think Luis is more comfortable in his own skin, feeling less pressure to score goals, so he's okay with making those runs and creating that space, playing off the shoulder, even if he doesn't get the ball back. Mm. Reynoso goes into a little bit of those pockets of space, um, wide. I mean, I think about the Everton game; I think he was drifting wide constantly, and a lot of times because FragoPani's coming in. Right. And now you have Robin, who has been playing center mid, but normally he was cutting in. So I do think there's an aspect and an element to me. That you have a, a a quote unquote true winger almost on one side and another inverted one on the other side. Cause if both guys are inverted, sure, it gets crowded awful quick, you know. And so I think when you have Fengwane on the one side, it does help out a little bit in opening up space in some of those more traditional, maybe more at home when you're not this transition attack, when you're more setting up. Like I think if everybody's trying to cut inside, then you're kind of end up without a, without space. Benitez might change that too, right. his ability to get forward.
0: I'm interested, uh, you bring up Robin Lourdes there, who, who again played in the centre of midfield. I actually think, um, I, I wonder in sort of three or four years, when he'll be 32, 33, I actually wonder if he'll make the transition into the centre of midfield full-time. Um, just because I... I I could see him being a deep-lying playmaker and a a dictator, if you will, almost like a...
1: Like an eight or a... Yeah, sort of a
0: deep-lying eight, almost like a quarterback, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's me talking about the football I have no (laughs) idea about. Um, But... Um, You know what I mean? Like, I can Mm -hmm. see him dropping and dictating and spraying the ball into the overlapping wingers and the overlapping fullbacks, rather. Um, I could just see that role fitting him quite nicely. I think I'm not suggesting he doesn't do a great job in the wide areas or as a center forward as he has played. He Um, said to me
1: in Houston, I interviewed him for the radio, and this mm. might have been the off-record stuff. I don't remember it and not like I'm giving something away. But he said to me, he started his soccer life as a center mid. He's like, I don't know how I ended up on the wing. (laughs) So, you know, we've talked about him playing in the center mid role with a different team for Finland, Finland, but even in his younger days, I think he was there.
0: Interesting.
1: You know, and then he said, um, you know, maybe just for his local club or whatever, and he's like, I don't know how I ended up in the wing in the first place. So, like, it's just, and he also said to me, I will play wherever I need to play as long as I'm on the field. And You know what I mean? (laughs) And when one of your best players players is saying that, well, I don't know, he might shine. (laughs) Watch out, Dane. Um, but no, I, I think that if there's anything a coach wants, is a guy that truly means it, and he's one of your best players, and hopefully he's here to stay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, one individual who is here to stay is Bacay DiBassi, new contract announced finally. Um, he has been sensational since coming in in mid-2020. I think a player like him is so vital, Kay, when you have the the aggressive nature of the fullbacks in, in this system. At times, the center-halves are going to be exposed I think he provides tremendous balance, but when he is exposed, his one-on-one defending has been supreme.
1: Yeah, and I think we, we talk often about that back line and, and specifically about Michael Boxall and, and DeBossi and what they bring, not just their quality on the, on the field, but their leadership, their style, they're not screamers. I don't think you and I have ever heard them just outright screaming. There's a lot of communication going on. You see a stoppage, and there's a lot of – even in going into half, it's you know pulling someone in, whether it's Bongi or whether it's someone else, or Rosala, someone sitting in front, Nabi, whoever it is. The conversations, the coaching, the talking about – I just think you can't underestimate a player like DeBossi and and Boxel and what they've been for this team – And um, since day one, and then, I mean, think about the beginning of the season, DeBossi was playing left back. Mm -hmm. He didn't love doing all that running, but he would do it for the betterment of the team. And in that moment, it was what was necessary. So I think um, he quietly kind of goes about his business, always has a smile on his face, makes the right tackles and the right challenges at the right time. Cause nobody, you know, nobody wants to center back. This is gonna, you're afraid of a red card every time they go (laughs) into something or a penalty, you know, I mean, we've all seen those across the world. So I think he's smart in his challenges and his positioning so he doesn't put himself in those, in those spots. And I think that it's a, a good move by Minnesota United, and I'm happy to see him back. <laughs>
0: When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Align Health Orthopaedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team, you're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alignahealth.org. And a very warm welcome back to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. We'll focus on Portland Timbers here shortly. The opponents for Minnesota United on Saturday afternoon. 2 p.m. kickoff, by the way, this coming Saturday. The game televised nationally on ABC. Kendra and myself, alongside Jonathan Harrison, will be on the radio. Score North here in the Twin Cities and Sirius XM across the United States. Better rest up that
1: voice. (coughs) I mean, you do most of the talking. I take a day off practically on radio days. (laughs) I just sit back and kick up my feet and let you do
0: all the work. (laughs) Struggling a little bit here. Um, uh, Let's talk about the headlines around Major League Soccer over the course of the last couple of weeks, shall we? Um, First and foremost, uh, it was always going to come since Gareth Bale signed with LAFC. Uh, His first goal in Major League Soccer came in a victory for LAFC away at Sporting Kansas City, and it was one heck of a goal as well.
1: I haven't heard anything negative yet about Gareth Bale and I again I'm not in the inside uh for that club I you know sometimes we I never heard really anything negative about Zlatan on Ibrahimovic either but then sometimes once somebody's gone you you hear some of the stories so hopefully he's there for all the right reasons and I think so far that's what it looks like and I think getting him his first goal or him getting his first goal is a step in the right direction for everybody because we all know the pressure that's involved with that too and I get it he's played under extremely high pressure situations overseas playing for his national team. Whatever club he's on at the time, it's all high pressure. But I do think um, this the spotlight is on him, and sometimes in MLS there are less spotlights to go around. And mm. so when you're under it, it's intense. And I think he wants to perform um, with all the hype, and he wants to clearly perform heading into the World Cup. So I, it was that to me. Again, it's good for the league. It's good for Gareth Bale. I know it's LAFC. I know it's a it's a Western Conference opponent. But at the end of the day that's what you want. I mean, sports is entertainment. You want Mm. exciting games and, uh, I'm just going to keep watching you trying to
0: sort out your phone. My phone, I need a new phone. It's, it's, I'm trying to look at some of the headlines you here You were just MLS. giving
1: me the, hmm, I'm listening. Like, that's what my husband does to me when I'm talking.
0: I need a new phone. My phone is just jumping all over the place, and I can't get the, the headlines up. So anyway, we'll, we'll just, you know, sort of wing it, shall we? we? We've seen all the headlines over the course of the last few days anyway. And um, whilst we're talking of designated players, uh, the, the two new DPs in Toronto had themselves an afternoon, a very convincing performance against Charlotte, FC. Uh, Lorenzo Insigne got himself two assists. Federico Bernadeschi got himself his first goal in Major League Soccer as well. It, it looks now okay, already, it looks as if these signings are starting to pay dividends, as if we're surprised for Toronto. Um, the, the question is, do they have enough about them to make a real push for the postseason?
1: But I think the thing for me was, I mean, this is what you expect when you make signings like that, but it doesn't always come to fruition or when you put them all together, it doesn't always happen. I mean, right. we've seen that before. And so knowing the quality of those players And having led into it and talking about it, and we've talked about those signings well before you know they even arrived on U.S. soil, or I should say North American soil. But I think at the end of the day, this is still going to be a mountain to climb for Toronto. Nobody's going to lay over and die. I mean, if I if I look correctly, it looks like to me Vancouver just beat them in the Canadian championship. And I don't even I haven't even looked at the full roster. I remember seeing all the highlights and watching the game sort of unfold on Twitter. But at the end of the day, that's a moment of pride for those two teams. And I think that nobody in the Eastern Conference is just going to lay over and hand Toronto the keys to climb right back up um, based on their signings. You know, everybody Mm. is still fighting for something. So, again, good for the league, a joy to watch. I remember when I was in Houston and we were doing highlights and that game was already underway. I'm looking, you know, first I'm looking at the score and I'm like, oh, I wonder who scored, you know, and then you're looking at – who got the goals? Who got the assists? Who got the secondary assists? Who contributed? And it's literally, you know, 75 to 80% of the names were new players, even if it's Mark Anthony Kay coming over, you know? So. <laughs> Sorry.
0: I tried again for my phone and it's just not working. I'm just going to leave it.
1: Now. <laughs> um, so I think that, I, I just think that the, all good things, whether they climb back in, I mean, what are they sitting in right now in, in position wise? They're sitting in... 12th? Are they 12th or 11th or something? Yeah, I mean, they're in 13th. Oh, so, there go. you know, with 22 points. So they've got a long road to hoe here. Six wins, 12 losses, and, and four draws. Now, I think the the goal differential might start to change a little bit. They have mm-hmm. 30 goals forward and 39 against. So that might start to creep um, yeah. with that attacking power. But nobody's going to roll over and die. I know that, you know. And I, I think that that's what makes this league this league. is the parody.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, the, the league um, built on parity, and that's why we love it as well. Because essentially, on on its day, anybody can beat anybody, really. Um, one individual that is uh, on his way out of his current situation is our old friend David Achoa, uh, heading to DC United. Uh, he was linked with the league uh, with a, a move to Liga MX. Uh, he was linked with a move um, to, I think it was there was a team in, in uh, the second tier in Italy that were looking at him. Uh, regardless. Um, Clearly not a wanted man in Salt Lake. He's he's moved over to DC, which is an interesting move in itself, Kate. Because I wonder what that means for Bill Hamid moving forward.
1: Yeah, and we didn't see him when uh, DC United was here. We didn't see Bill Hamid, mm. and I think that to me it's Wayne Rooney. How is that going to go down? Mm. Honestly, I mean Ochoa is not short on confidence. No, and there's a reason it didn't work out in Salt Lake, and I, you know, and we all have been the lucky, fortunate ones to experience some of his confidence firsthand. We've heard some stories. Yeah, and we've heard some (laughs) stories that we haven't experienced firsthand. But I do think at the end of the day, like, that's going to be an interesting one to me because Wayne Rooney, maybe it's a coach that's in a position where he can sort of put Ochoa in his place a little bit, or maybe Mm. that's why he likes Ochoa is because of his confidence and his nature. But that's what we've heard other places too, and now it hasn't worked. He never, you know, he was injured, and then he never worked his way back into form. So I don't know. I think it'll be interesting, but nonetheless, Bill Hamid is the one who's kind of going, "Well, what the heck?" Um, But Ochoa, I would assume, has got to win a starting spot there. Um, But we'll see. I don't know. I just, I'm just not a huge. I think DC is trying to make some of these moves, and um, maybe Ochoa just needed a fresh start, needed a new environment, needed to make a change. Um, And it's been rough for him since the Olympics. The qualifiers, I should say, when they didn't qualify for the Olympics. And then he decided to play for Mexico instead of the United States and hasn't really been back in that camp either. So it's been a road for him. And I don't want to downplay that because I don't know what's going on with him personally. Mentally, that's a lot for a sure. young athlete to handle. Um, there's a lot of pressure on goalkeepers. So who knows? But this may be the best thing for him. And maybe he'll thrive at D.C. United and he just needed to change the scenery. And I don't know what that means for Bill Hamid. I mean, uh, I mean how old is he now?
0: He's 33, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And so it, I, I wonder, going back to your point, I wonder is, in the situation at D.C., um, is Wayne Rooney the type of individual who, in this type of, of situation, he's okay to wipe the slate clean and say, I want my guys in. It's as simple yep. as that.
1: Yep, and, and he probably has free reign to do that at this point. Probably. You know what I mean? He's in the position where you're going to bring me in, I'm going to come here and do this job. I'm, I mean, clearly he's already made some changes. Yes. Um, and he was part of that club prior, so he might already kind of know what needs to happen and knows some of the inner workings of it when he was a player there for a short stint. So Mm. I would think he has free license to do that um, as long as he doesn't run something into the ground.
0: It's going to be very interesting. Um, Talking of of players and pastures new and opportunities ahead of them, uh, we're recording this, uh, what day is it? My God, Thursday. We're recording this on Thursday. (laughs) And um, uh, the suggestion is that the reports are, uh, and they're coming from extremely accurate sources, um, that, Josie Altador is set to leave New England for Puebla of Liga MX. Um, Josie Altador is 32. Josie Altador, as far as I'm aware, is not a part of the US men's national team picture moving forward. My thought here, Kay, is that this is potentially a last-ditch effort for him to show Greg Berhalter that actually I'm still capable and I can play at a very good level.
1: But don't you think he'd be doing that at New England Revolution? Um, I understand. You can't, can't get a game, right? <laughs> England, but I, I don't know. Like, and I agree with you that. May, and actually, I don't know that. I'm trying to figure out whose idea this was. Mm. Is it a Josie idea, or is it a Bruce Arena, you know, New England Revolution idea sure. to loan this player out specifically, Josie Altador. Mm. Does he want to get in the U.S. men's national team? I know the men's national team is still sort of hurting for a number nine. Right. A very specific number nine, going to the World Cup. He hasn't been a part of – when's the last camp he was a part of? Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I can't even think. think of one. So yeah. I, I just – I'm not sure. I, I would almost be this more. Is, is this Bruce Arena parting ways with Jose Altidore? He brought right. him in as kind of his guy. Has he had um, Has a history with him, mm-hmm. and it's not worked out. And, you know, seeing them try to play with I mean, we played New England Revolution and they were on the field together. It was him and um
0: Carlos Heel. Carlos
1: Heel. Yeah. And you're kinda going, Oh, how's this gonna work? You know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't know if they like playing. What's the other guy's name? Um
0: Uh Walter Bow
1: What? Gustavo bow. sorry. <laughs> I
0: was like, Ooh. I always get the balls. I was like, oh man, though.
1: I'm way off if I don't. Good, yes, I, I, I Gustavo Bow yeah, specifically, because they were like almost playing next to each other, almost right. like as a two forward system. And they did not look like they were particularly enjoying playing together. And that might have been one of the first times they had really played on the field together, whereas before Josie was coming off the bench. So maybe there's something going on there that it was like, this is not working. Gustavo Bow, Carlos Field, they are my guys. Mm. And Josie's you know, being loaned out to get some games. And he's like, if I'm not going to play, I don't know. I mean, this is pure speculation, but the yep. only thing that's not speculation, according to some pretty solid sources, mm-hmm. is that he is being loaned out to Liga Max. And I just don't know what that means for him going forward. And I don't think it would mean he's on the men's national team roster. So, September's the next camp.
0: Right. Okay. So, so let me ask you this thing. So the World Cup is obviously in December. The, the, the camp will be underway in November for the national team. So, what, what do we know? Um, August, August November. So, we've got three or four months.
1: Well, isn't technically the World Cup at the end of November?
0: End of November, yeah, you're right. So, so has got about three months. What if in three months he scores double digit goals in Liga MX? What do you do?
1: I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring him <laughs> in. I wouldn't. He's not mobile. Okay. How is he scoring the goals in Liga MX? Well,
0: Pueblo are a good team. Mm-hmm. and you know I Like,
1: he doesn't move a ton. Mm. I don't know. Is it, is it I don't. Not, s- not
0: different to what yeah, the US have got. You
1: want PFOC. Well,
0: I, I want PFOC. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yes. But
1: <laughs> but I, I don't see it. Mm. I mean, unless you, maybe, I don't know. I don't see it. I really don't. Okay. I don't. I don't. And I'm not saying, I don't know what, you know, I'm not saying anything is off the table at this point. If someone's mm. going to score goals for the men's national team in the World Cup, sign him up. Sure. But I'm not convinced that he should take a roster spot of someone else based on even a stint of double-digit goals in League MX in a two- or three-month window.
0: I just think it would be very difficult to ignore him. No, I know, know. and and, and all your points are extremely valid for sure. I I just think it would be very difficult to ignore him if he goes to, let's be honest, a league that's better than Major League Soccer, and he scores double-digit goals in two to three months. I think it's very difficult to ignore him.
1: Look at the way the U.S. play, though. Whether you're playing with a target big man or you're playing with maybe not a true nine, mm. and all the pace, and the, I don't know, I just...
0: But it gives, you, gives <laughs> you, much like PFOC, and we've had this debate before, we'll go there again. <laughs> much like PFOC, he does give you the option to go direct. I, I, I would My preference would be to have PFOC in there for sure, because, and I say this with all due respect, I'm not being anti-US, and I'm, I'm not being pro-England here, when you play a team like England, I think the US have to go direct because I think they'll struggle to move it through the channels against such a tight knit group like, like England. I think against um, Iran, who are also no pushover, by the way, you can probably play a little more the way you want to. I, I think it wouldn't surprise me at all if they started with Tim Ware as a centre forward, actually, in the World Cup. But I'll take it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm just not sure you can play Put that way against England. Out there. Yeah, look, I think is going to be involved, and it'll be very interesting. I'm not
1: sure that <clears throat> Josie Altidore can be your target forward man. Right, That's right, well, my problem, because sure, I think sure. that is the way he will play, and I'm not even sure he can do that. Hmm. I don't even know that he's going to hold the ball and that he's going to be – I just – I don't know. I just don't even know anymore. I, I'm just – you think of how it kind of ended at Toronto, and then you're thinking, oh, he's going to get a second life with a coach that's familiar and play the – you know, use him in a certain way – um, with New England Level, I just don't see him. Yeah. I just think, honestly, I, I don't know. I just think his time might be done, at least with the men's national team. Not sure. necessarily with MLS or, you know, with League mm-hmm. MX, whatever he just ends up doing there, but I just don't see it with the men's national team, especially the way they play now. And even if you play with a target man, I'm yeah. just not sure that he's it.
0: For the record, I agree with you. I'm playing <laughs> devil's advocate here because I You're trying
1: think. to somehow sneakily say again <laughs> that you want PFOC by wanting a target man to play direct.
0: PFOC. <laughs> For days, no problem. (laughs) Uh, I am going to watch that though and see how Josie Altidale does in Liga MX. Um, Let's focus on Minnesota United then, shall we, for the last sort of portion of the podcast. Portland Timbers forthcoming. Um, It's been an up and down season for them as well, no doubt, but much like Minnesota United, the, the Loons unbeaten in six... Portland come to Allianz Field unbeaten in seven. This could be a really intriguing game, Kay.
1: Well, I think, and you know, Adrian said it yesterday. I think he might have said it to you. Is He's kind of viewed Portland now as more the rivalry game for Minnesota United. Is the energy that always seems to be about when they play them, whether it's regular season or whether it's in a playoffs. And let us not forget, and maybe that is what it is in the back of his mind. I remember doing radio with you that first game on the road, 2017, Portland Mm. Timbers. And we got smoked and one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it felt worse than that. And I don't know if that was just, who knows, maybe that's just continually fueled the fire. That was a nationally televised game. If mm-hmm. I'm remembering correctly, And Tim, I remember my line, Timber Joey was cutting the log after one of the goals, and they scored another one. I was like, Timber Joey hasn't even finished cutting the last log yet. (laughs) You know, and it was just one of those moments. So this is going to be an intriguing matchup for many reasons. Sebastian Blanco didn't even play the last game against San Jose Earthquakes, which they came away with a 2-1 win. But I think the Earthquakes have, you know, and other teams have proven that you can score on this Portland Timber side. It's more to me about containing their attack com- containing Sebastian Blanco. You've got Yumi Chara. You've got, uh, you know, um, Niz Gota, who's yes. starting to figure it out. You've got Williams back in the mix after his ACL. So mm-hmm. I just think there's a lot of things. Diego Chara we can talk about for days and what he's capable of. And then Diron Espria is like a man on a mission. I mean, he should have probably had three goals in the first half, maybe against San Jose, San Jose. the other night. So he's a big boy to contend with. And I think this is going to be – this is the Western Conference – This is where we're in the business third of the season, how many of our games we have left. And everybody's scrapping and clawing, not just to get above the playoff line, but to get a home field, to get a game at home. I mean, they're sitting in eighth right now, as you said, Minnesota in third. I bet nobody's even paying attention to that in the Western Conference when you're in and around one through nine, or maybe three through nine, because one and two are pretty up there with the points. There's a little separation. But three through nine and ten is tight. What's the points difference? So, Minnesota United has 34, and Portland has 30, and they're in eighth and out of the playoffs. And even Seattle has 29 and in are ninth, and you know they're going to be putting everything to this yeah. one to get above that playoff line. I mean, there's, it's, they're sitting in ninth right now, Seattle, and then it's Vancouver, Houston, Colorado, San Jose, Sporting Kansas City. So, there's a bigger drop-off there. But literally, three through 10, is tight and then when your nine and ten teams are Seattle or excuse me your eight and nine teams are Portland and Seattle. So that's when you talk about the parodying the competition, this is going be this is going to be a fun matchup and Sebastian Blanco is gonna, as far as I know, he was mm-hmm. yellow card accumulation. he missed the San Jose game. He should be good to go here at Minnesota on Saturday.
0: They look like a team that, that transition awfully well through the center of midfield. Uh, a lot of that down to the persistence of Diego Chara, but also the reintroduction of Eric Williams, as you mentioned as well. Um, how do Minnesota United thwart that? How do they
1: at least limit it? Well, first off, you got to have the right bodies in the center of midfield to yeah. thwart the transition. So if that's Diego Chara, whoever it is that's sitting in the middle, do not allow him. And he's willing to make the runs forward too. He's not going to just sit there deep lying and like start the transition. He will get in as well. I think from Minnesota, it's going to be all about being on the front. You are the aggressor, mm. so once again, using if if I have no idea what the starting eleven is, but if you're Longwané again on that right hand side, you push you push it. This is the first time Minnesota has seen Portland this year. This is the first time Portland hell will face a player like Longwané with that pace. Yep. If Robin Lud is in the center of midfield still, sure. that's a different dynamic, you know. So I just think there's all these elements. If Benitez gets to come off the bench or if he starts, DJ Taylor's in. Tremendous form. Kamar Lawrence has had a whole week now to rest and rejuvenate. I just think there are different pieces. And then if let's say hypothetically you went with like a Rosales and a Robin and a Ray, if they're all healthy and able to go. Or if maybe um, Arriaga is able to go, I'm right. not sure who's available. But those are pieces that they have not contended with in the past. So in the middle of the field, I feel like Minnesota United, in those positions they've had Ray and they've had Robin, but not in the center midfield mm-hmm. for Portland to deal with. I just think all those things and being on the front foot, you are forcing their outside backs and their players to stay home. you got to win that battle early on um, and, be, and be effective in the wide spaces. I think time and time again, the wide spaces is where Minnesota can find the way to keep their team home, you know, keep their team uh, on the back foot by being aggressive in the wide spaces from an attacking point of view. And I on the left side it might be Kamar Lawrence because we know Fragapone likes to tuck in.
0: Um, I'm certainly hoping that Diego Chara fancies moving forward a little bit because we we are assuming that Reynoso is going to be available. He's, mm-hmm. he's been training this week from from what we've seen. Uh, we have no... Um, the bleach
1: blonde f- hair too, by the way, um, if I've, everybody keep an eye out for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, great for player ID from our point of view. <laughs> um, as far as we're aware, he's, he's okay. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to start, but um, we, we have no England in the starting 11, inkling of the starting 11, but... Um, you'd be hard-pressed to imagine an eleven without Reynoso if he doesn't play. But, um, so from, from that regard, if Reynoso is indeed in the starting 11 I'd be very surprised if Chara did go forward. I'd be happy if he did, because surely in that situation, unless they, they go with a 4-3-3 or something, um, you would assume Diego Chara would stick as closely as he could to Manuel Reynoso, because I think everybody knows if, if Reynoso has the ball at his feet, you, you have to limit that.
1: Yeah, but if, but if Reynoso continues to do what he's been doing, is drifting in a little bit wider space, sure. then does Diego follow him? And then you've created this ginormous mm-hmm. hole in the middle of the field that a player like a Robin Lloyd, if he's back in the center midfield, can right. take advantage of. So I think that Diego, and his, he's a very intelligent player, there's a reason why he's been in this league and been as good as he has for so long, um, is... That is why Ray is so good in, in finding those spaces. And Robin is equally as smart in reading the game and where he needs to be if he pushes on. So I think that that's going to be, I would love it if Diego stays on Ray. Yep. Because I think we've seen that before. Ray can pull out two or three players and create space. But then it's those people that are filling that space, taking advantage of those moments and actually finishing their chances. A late arriving around on the 18, whatever it might be. So... Um, and now that you have Robin in there, who's a little bit more accurate, when he does have the opportunity to shoot, which he hasn't had a whole lot of since he's been in, back in the center midfield, yep. he's been less dangerous in the attacking third, but still being incredibly utilized, in my opinion, for what he's done in the middle, just not as dangerous and, like, getting shots on goal we're used just seeing. So more power to Diego Char if he wants to track Ray. But if Ray's going to find those wide spaces, then that's going to leave a gaping hole for mm. someone else to fill.
0: Just finally then, before we finish the podcast, um, Adrian Heath mentioned in a season ticket members um, video that we did uh, earlier this week, um, a certain centre forward called Mender Garcia is allegedly, he's signed with the club and they're just waiting for league approval and all this sort of other nonsense that needs to be done uh, to complete a deal in this league. Um, It'll be interesting to see what sort of a player he is. From, From the tape that I've seen, he's He's very, very quick, um, not too dissimilar to Longwane, but perhaps a little, um, a little more crisp and clean with his touch. Perhaps has, uh, and I say this with all due respect, he perhaps has a bigger footballing IQ. Um, he's been one of the players uh, of the year so far for Onse Saldas. Um, this is what Minnesota United perhaps needed, was another attacking option, if indeed this, this deal gets done.
1: And to me, the biggest word you just said there was pace, yeah. speed. I mean, there are no burners. On Minnesota United. I'm not taking shots at anybody. I mean, Longwani is probably the fastest. Obviously, Ubu Dunlade can be fast when he's out in open space. Luisa Maria is not speed. You know, so a lot of times when Minnesota have tried to play direct and over the top, and they tried it a few times with even against Houston you're expecting Hongwane to get on the end of something because he's got the pace to get in behind. So if you have a forward that has some pace, so you have that moment where it's in a transition or a ball gets dropped behind or a defender makes a mistake and it's a foot race, so not only is he good on the ball and he has, you know, as you say, soccer IQ, Mm. reading the game, technical ability, but a, a true forward with some pace. And I think that can make a a huge difference in just a different way to play the game, a different way for others to play the game with this player. Um, I, so I think I'm all for a different dynamic and having options to play the game in different ways depending on what the player brings you. Changing the game if you need to, depending on the opponent, depending on what the game is giving you, um, having options. Much like even a Benitez at right back. We've only gotten to see them a couple times. And his true right back, actually, first was Everton. Mm. And I remember my husband saying to me after the game, right away, first second, he could see his quality going forward as a wing back. And, again, not taking a shot at DJ Taylor because he's been fantastic. But Benitez just has a different – he's a tack-minded. He's an attack-minded outside back, and you can see his quality going forward. And I think – so same thing. If you find a forward that can be different and can change the game depending on how you're playing and who you're playing against – I'm all for it. Again, I'll I'll be see what he does when he gets to this league because mm-hmm. we all we've seen that before. You just never know, um, and that's true with any league. But you transition to a new place and a new league, and um, hopefully that the way they want him to play and the way they utilize him is the reason that they recruited him and scouted him in, and brought him in.
0: Going to be very interesting, Minnesota United as they enter the final third of this Major League Soccer campaign. My thanks to Kindra D Saint our expert button presser Grace, and of course uh, for you for listening at home as well. All eyes now focusing on Saturday afternoon, two p.m. ABC on national television, and of course you can join myself, Kindra D Saint Alban, and Jonathan Harrison on Score North and Sirius XM for full match commentary on national radio. From all of us here, a very good day to you.